At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson with you. He played 10 years in the NFL, six in D.C. I covered the Commanders for five years on the beat. And, of course, you can catch me each and every weekday afternoon now on the Team 980. And where, Logan? Always live on the free (laughs) Odyssey app, uh, three to six each and every day. Uh, so I I want to obviously spend the show uh, as do you talking about Eric Bieniemy uh, hired as the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach officially on Saturday deal was basically done on Friday uh, just for timestamps we're recording this at 9:42 a.m. as we uh, speak right now on Tuesday and the reason I mention that is because there might be some staffing news and things that mm-hmm. come out over the course of the next 24 hours 36 hours as folks listen to this episode. So with that, uh, if that stuff happens, whether it's coaches are kept or coaches are are moved on from, uh, that is where we stand right now. There's been no staffing news outside of Biennemi getting this job. But Logan, let's dive right in. High-level thoughts. It actually happened. I mean, I I remember we were talking like in January. It's like, oh, do you think they could get Biennemi? I was like, no, there's no way. So how did we wind up where Eric Biennemi is the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach? of the Washington Commanders, and what do you make of the fit from the Washington side of things? Well, I mean, I think Washington should be really excited. I know there's, like, a lot of kind of, like, well, why did he take this job? What's going on? And, like, I kn- I knew him briefly in 2005. You know, he was he recruited me to UCLA. He was a running back coach while I was there. And then I've had interactions with him over the course of, you know, my career when he was in Kansas City and I was in Houston. And then, obviously, like, I've talked with, like, one of his best friends, John Embry, periodically about both of their careers just kind of casually. And one of the things that – was a pretty consistent theme for him is that he really wants to be a head coach. And for whatever reason, um, like him being kind of this assistant offensive coordinator in Kansas City has not lent itself to that opportunity. And I think he probably looks at this and says, you know what, if I want to be a head coach, I, I, I can't be in Kansas City. And so this was kind of, I don't want to say like his only opportunity because I don't know that, but it was an opportunity that afforded him play calling responsibility, an opportunity to get out of the, the shadow of Andy Reid and to show that he is a fantastic coach. Because I, I don't really, you know, like you hear stories about him and how he communicates with players. I got to experience that firsthand when I was at UCLA. But 
one thing about him that I have a ton of respect for is he is hyper detailed and he's a very good football mind. So just by that criteria alone, I think he's going to make this offense better. How much better with a second year quarterback with an offensive line that's kind of in the midst of a rebuild with some staffing questions. It's a tough situation. It's a tough job. It's things we talked about before, but I, I think as a person who is passionate about football, who's a smart guy, this is a good fit. I'm happy he's here. I think he's going to make this group better. I think he's going to elevate this offense. I think that bodes well for Washington. Yeah. I mean, this is a coup. The fact that they, they get yeah. a guy. Like, if we were to just put all the offensive coordinator candidates out there, right, and you can pick any, you can make a legitimate argument that Biennemi is the first pick. Are there some of these other young guys that get some of these other jobs that uh, were considered better candidates or highly touted? Sure, but why? Like, they don't have the experience necessarily that he has. There are a couple that have maybe, like a, a Greg Roman, who's got immense success and immense play calling experience, uh, yeah. would seem to be pretty high on the list. And he's going to get left out this cycle because everyone's always looking for the next hot young guy. Well, the enemy's only 53. Um, he's got almost 30 years of NFL experience at this point, um, between nine as a player and almost 20 as a coach. Like, he's... He he's incredible at, at what he does. Now, can he command an entire offense and, and all these things that we just don't know because he hasn't done them? I guess we'll find out. But the odd thing about this is the uncertainty and the challenges that present themselves in Washington are exactly why this job is appealing to him. But to me, if I'm him, I want two criteria. One, I want all the prerequisite challenges so that I can crush them and people will stop saying all the things that they're saying. And, and I, there's, it just becomes so undeniable that I should be a head coach that I get the job. That's, that's one thing. And that wasn't going to happen in Kansas City, not just because of Reed, but because of Mahomes. And obviously, like there is a race conversation that is floating over all of this. And if you can't see that, I don't know what to tell you. But the other big like football thing, that's the difference between Nagy and Peterson versus Biennemi and their times as OC and then getting that boost to a head coaching job is those two dudes didn't coach Patrick Mahomes. And so when those two other coaches were successful under Reed, it was like, oh, wow, look, they're great. They're designing great offense. Andy's helping them, sure. But wow, look at what they're doing with Alex Smith, let's say. And they go get the head coaching job. With Mahomes, he's so magical that he just, it's like, well, yeah, anybody could do that, even if Biennemi is getting the absolute best out of Mahomes. And so I think that that is, one, completely unfair, but two, the fact that the challenges here present themselves in the way that they do are actually opportunities for Biennemi. But the other thing that I'd be looking for, so that's part one, do they have the prerequisite challenges? Is the job hard enough, quote unquote, that people will actually respect me if I succeed? Two, do I actually have the pieces I need to succeed? Because when you look at this receiving core and you look at the skill positions here, I think if you're a good OC, you come in and you're like, yeah, I can do work with that. We can do damage with that. And by the way, the bar is pretty low here. Like they've, they've been 28th in offense over some absurdly long stretch of time. Kime had the tweets yesterday. It was like tw over the last like 20 years, they've been 28th in offense. And so they've never, even with Gruden here, who's one of the better offensive minds in the league and like McVay and O'Connell and all these guys, the Shanahan's like, They've been so bad between those guys. And even in some of those seasons where they've just had, you know, Jay had 78 quarterbacks play, it felt like, over a two-year stretch uh, post-Kirk and, and obviously with the Alex injury. Like, they just have been so bad that if he can get them to middle of the pack, top 12, God forbid, top 10 offensively, 
it will be seen as a wild success. And I think that that is very appealing to a guy who has these higher aspirations. And that is why ultimately, even though he's leaving Patrick Mahomes, leaving enemy for positionally what is a lateral move, OC to OC, and we can talk about the assistant head coaching job and the play calling and all that kind of stuff. That is why it makes sense for enemy And it Washington just benefits from the fact that he is existing in this very bizarre ecosystem, that that actually is something that's desirable to him versus winning more Super Bowls uh, or you know having the head of coaching opportunities it seems like he deserves. Yeah, I think the thing, um, I totally agree. I mean, I think the thing that sticks out to me about him, though, is like that there wasn't more opportunities. Like nobody was like waiting for him and waiting for his decision. And, you know, again, I don't know if this was the only opportunity, but I would... If I was hit in his shoes, and I've said this on the show before, and I, I would have probably gone a different direction just because of the time parameter we've talked about. It's not that the the position isn't good. It's not that you know the the the, the elevated titles aren't good. All that stuff's fantastic. The opportunity is fantastic. Um, like you mentioned, the the players are fantastic. But it's like it's you're kind of got this albatross around your neck of saying it's a year. It's a year prospect technically, right? If things don't go well. And I think that's something I, I think we need to talk about is that as as much as I respect him as an offensive play caller, he still has some restrictions here that are going to be pretty hard to overcome, right? It's the Sam Howell thing. Like you're going into a season with a guy who's thrown 19 passes in the NFL, who's a fifth round draft pick. Now, was that low? Possibly, but a lot of teams overlooked him because they didn't think he was ready to play, right? And so that's a big thing. We've talked about the offensive line and the rebuild associated with that. Because, again, when you watch Kansas City, one thing that sticks out definitively is how good that offensive line is, right? And it, how it allows them to let Patrick, Home, Patrick Mahomes express himself, how it allows um, them to get the football down the field in this really dynamic way, which is, again, something Scott wanted to do here but was kind of unable, unable to do. So, And, again, there's play calling things that can insulate that and, and handle that, which I think the enemy is well aware of. But there are some big obstacles here that are really outside of his control. And I think that that's important for fans to understand. Like, do I expect there to be an improvement? Absolutely. But I don't think – I think when you say top 10, there's a lot of fans that say that's what it's going to be. And I, I just want to temper expectations a little bit, right? Because this is not a perfect situation. Even, and we've talked about before. Even if they go out and they draft a whole bunch of old linemen, they bring in a bunch of free agents – sometimes those don't transfer very well and they don't do very well. Like Caleb McGarry is a very interesting example. He's probably the number two tackle prospect coming out in this year's uh, free agent market. And he's in a run heavy scheme. Now, if they ask him to drop back pass protect a whole bunch, like they did in Kansas city, he's not going to be the same guy. You know what I'm saying? So understanding right. the market, understanding the dynamic elements of it, I think is really, really important. Ultimately, like I, you said this, I said this, I'm excited. I'm excited that we are kind of the beneficiary of, kind of a messed up system here that has not afforded him a better opportunity, um, which is kind of messed up in its own right. But I do think that there are significant limitations to this roster that need to be acknowledged for when he comes into this job. And people need to understand that it's not going to be, you know, it, it might not be fireworks from day one because it's hard. I think that's another thing we need to talk about. It's really, really hard to install an offense and get it to where you want it to be in a year. Cause we were talking about this off air one of the things that sticks out about Kansas City when you watch them is just how <clears throat> sharp and detailed everybody is. And that takes some time to get there. And can they do that with the new offseason schedules and things like that? I don't know. But again, though, those are some things that I think need to be acknowledged in this. Totally. So you're 100% correct. Um, this is a, a team that is really strong in the places that it's strong. 
Right. And like offensive line, I don't even know whether to call it weak or, or anything right now because it's non-existent. Like it's, it's uh, you know, incomplete is the grade on the offensive line right now. We don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, it, it, even on paper, nevertheless, what we think it can look like when it actually gets out in training camp, preseason, and ultimately into the regular season. We do not know who the players are going to be. Um, and, and that's obviously a pretty uh, important step in all of this. Um, with that said, I do think that there is some stuff that I feel really good about immediately with him. And it goes to that that detail-oriented approach. And I think also some of the skill sets that he has to play with that he's had in the past um, in Kansas City that will make the quarterback's job easier. And that is Curtis Samuel being the chief amongst them. Like he gets to bring back some of the Tyree Kill stuff, which he he obviously continued to use when they got Kadarius Toney in Kansas City this year. But the Jarek McKinnon, Kadarius Toney, Tyree Kill, that like gadget player has always been a huge part of what they do. And he can make the offense a lot easier. Um, That said... There's no, there's no Travis Kelsey here, and so the the kind of safety blanket over the entire offense that exists in Kansas City is not here. And we can get into some of the X's and O's and the pieces that you think are going to be really important, what translates, what doesn't. But I think even taking a step back further than that, the biggest thing that will determine Bienemy's success this year is going to be his ability to adjust calling plays for Patrick Mahomes one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL with five years of experience in the same system to Sam Howell, who's thrown 19 NFL passes. And Sam is a smart kid. Um, they're very part of the reason they were okay going with a guy like the Who's not going to run the same system that Turner is, is because Ron Rivera said that he's very confident in Sam's ability to pick things up quickly. Mm. So Sam is very smart, but I don't know that he's, go to the in year two like right now not that he can't become this and maybe even become it quickly but i don't know that he is give you three plays at the line of scrimmage with a bunch of checks and like stuff that you just have to know in your head go to the line of scrimmage identify the coverage identify the front pick your play get everybody organized might not even go perfectly there's a play in this one of the, the touchdowns in the super bowl they're in the wrong formation mahomes makes it work like it is is how at that level yet, no way. Because you just can't be. Again, it's not a knock on Sam. It's a reality that he is not Patrick Mahomes and nobody else is Patrick Mahomes. But even from a mental standpoint, there aren't a lot of guys. Like it's Burrow. It was a guy like Brady. It's Rodgers. Like Mahomes is way up here intellectually and from a capacity standpoint. And in his second year, can the enemy kind of revert to what it was like co- coaching Mahomes the first year that they had him as the starter? when he was had played one game the previous year and was a second-year starter, and figure out how to maximize the offense while still insulating a guy who is learning and coming along, and then obviously expand his plate as the year goes and they, they learn each other better. And Sam's you know ability to identify and recall things becomes better as he sees more things on an NFL field. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's kind of the story of this acquisition is like, you know, just how he treats Sam Howell and what this offense looks like. Because I do think like, you know, we're not dumb. Like he's not dumb. He knows it needs to be different. He can't execute the same offense. Like when I, I did a little bit of film evaluation for the TV show, and one of the things that came out is like Patrick Mahomes is like very, very special. Like there's concepts like they a lot of the concepts that they ran in Kansas City are similar to the concepts that they ran here. But Patrick Mahomes is able to 
elevate those concepts, like kind of buy a little bit of time, fit this ball into a tight window, just kind of deal in a way that is very unique to him. So, um, you know, in, in the game that I'm talking about, it was the 49ers game. You know, he's able to kind of cultivate three, four, five, six, seven first downs on his own, which you lose in an offense like this, right, with with Sam Howell. Like, and it becomes all schematic and then playmakers executing. So you said a couple things there. So that that's kind of the first thing. The other thing you mentioned about Kelsey, I think it's important to not see Kelsey as a tight end, but as like their ex receiver, their number mm-hmm. one weapon. And I think that bodes well for a guy like Terry, a guy like Jahan, because it shows you how he can kind of, maneuver that chess piece around the formation to best exploit matchups. Now having a slot receiver or Travis Kelsey or that type of athlete do it is a little bit easier because they do, you know, you can line up a tight end, you can line up in the slot, you can kind of out wide. You are limited slightly by having it be your ex receiver as the guy, but he, he has shown a proclivity to kind of understand formation, understand motions, understand how to get guys in good matchups and put them in good spots. So I do think that that don't, it's, Travis Kelsey in that offense will be Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson. And I do think people forget about Armani Rogers and Cole Turner. Like those guys are very, very talented guys and under the right tutelage of a guy who's seen what it means to be one of the best tight ends in the NFL can probably do a little bit of growing. And I think that's important for people to acknowledge. And I look at the opportunities that those guys had last year, and there were so few in the terms of the passing game, they were going to be more productive in this offense just because they're going to get more opportunities. So I think there's a lot of things here, but I think the most important piece is what this offense actually looks like with Sam Howell. Are they kind of a run first team? You know, like under Andy Reid with Alex Smith, that offense was 12, 13, 22 personnel groupings, and they were able to kind of insulate Alex and find their shot plays to Tyreek Hill in a very unique way. Is that what this offense looks like? Or is it this kind of high-flying passing offense um, that doesn't get enough credit for how they run the football. So lots of things that still need to be answered. We're still really early in the process, but um, there are some pieces here that get you excited. Like you mentioned to me, it's just more of a, there, the limit it's important to acknowledge the rate limiters, right? It's important to acknowledge the things that are going to make it challenging for this team to kind of be like a top 10 offense right now. And there, it, there's a whole off season. There's a lot of corrections that can be made. But those are important to acknowledge today, I think. Let me just let's close the loop on the Kelsey piece of this real quick. Um, how much does it change? Because you mentioned like skill set wise and like obviously there's more places Travis Kelsey can line up because he can line up in line. Mm-hmm. But also if like Terry is the move piece and, and kind of the piece that we're we're trying to figure out how to get the best out of, he's always going to have a corner on him. Versus, not necessarily not necessarily or, like how, like like let's let's say let's take Tyreek Hill for example like okay. one of the things that they did that was super innovative and then Green Bay kind of copied that this year with Christian Watson is they get in these three by one formations so three receivers to the right so you know it's Tyreek it's Tyreek Hill Christian Watson Terry McLaurin in the slot and the kind of closest to the quarterback and mm-hmm. um then it's whoever the other two guys are and then the tight ends off to the left by himself you you don't have enough <clears throat> DBs to match that with a starting corner all the time necessarily, especially if you're playing zone. So they get Tyreek Hill oftentimes matched up on a safety, matched up on a nickel, Mm -hmm. matched up on a linebacker just based on formation. And then you say, oh, well, we're going to adjust that. And that's where they motion, they shift, they do some different stuff. That's what, again, one of the things that Kyle did that was so nice and what Andy does that's so nice and what hopefully the enemy will do is understanding formations and how the defense responds to certain formations and how you can put them in a bind based on rules and 
when you watch Kansas City, they seem to have a very high understanding of how to do that. So um, I, I think, I think it, yes, like who, like for example, when Kyle was in Atlanta, Julio, they moved all over the place. It doesn't look like he's moving because he's playing outside. But let's say on this play, he's lined up to the side of the tight end. Technically, he's the Z receiver there. You're going to see different coverage profiles to the Z receiver because you're more likely to run the football to the tight end. That safety is going to be down in the box a little bit more. They're not going to have as much over-the-top help. And that's moving a piece around the formation as opposed to saying, Julio, play X, win versus X stuff. That's even a subtle thing. But I do think that that's important to acknowledge. And so it's not always going to be a corner. And again, it will be a corner more often than not. But there are ways you can formation it to put that guy in a good position to be successful. And Scott did some of that in this offense. So I think back to two years against Carolina, he's running an in-breaking seam on a safety. That's a matchup Terry's going to win every time for a touchdown versus Carolina. So <clears throat> there's elements that they can kind of exploit to maximize that group, maximize those move pieces. And I want to, I think it's important to acknowledge, you already pointed this out, is they have a whole bunch of guys who can move around a formation, even Armani, right? Because of his speed can kind of play X, right. play, you know what I mean? And so it, it's a very diverse skill set. It's about the enemy identifying that skill set and then saying, how do I best through my football brain maximize what we've got going on here good luck getting that on the other podcast good, good luck with that ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I wanted to read uh, something from this Twitter account that is really phenomenal. It's a guy who used to work in the Eagles front office. I think partially, at least while Reed was there, uh, it's at the honest NFL. And, and he's like a former direct, he's, he stayed anonymous on online, but we know he's like a former director of personnel, whether it's pro college, something within the Eagles front office, uh, and knows Andy Reed's philosophies very well. And he does all kinds of charts. He actually tweeted out that he's like sorted some game film on uh, the Chiefs offense, which is super helpful. If you want to go back and look at some of that stuff, it's on his account. But he tweeted out this thing the other day to kind of supplement exactly what you just said. The Andy Reid pass game methodology. And he's got notes on formation usage, alignment usage, and motion usage. I'll start with formation. 
One of the main things to understand about exploiting coverages is that defenses are defending the specific formation that an offense presents them. That's how they structure themselves, and it's the main focus uh, of their communication. With that in mind, knowing how using specific formation structures on offense will affect a coverage is the primary function of why a formation is used. Their calls are generally for balance formations in their default setting and require further communication and calibration to adjust to certain looks. Those looks include three by one trips, tray, three by two empty, four by one, et cetera. Uh, utilize, utilizing those looks inherently requires defenders to adjust, and that is the first step to making things work for you. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of word jargon there, but the kind of the what you were talking about of like, yeah, is is Terry going to wind up with a corner on him more than Travis Kelsey would if they all lined up at the same places? Yes, but there's also disadvantages to that for the defense. So how can you exploit that? Okay, they've decided they're going to shadow Terry with their number one corner wherever. Okay, we'll line him up in the slot and we'll run the ball. And, and so, you know, all so of a sudden you, we kick him there. Or you can't adjust and you get the matchup of Terry on a safety or a linebacker. So there's just like certain things before you even talk about the motions and, and the shifts and um, personnel usage and whatever, just by sheer alignment, you are going to guarantee that the defense does certain things and that knowledge is powerful. Yeah, so here's two examples that support that. So there's a short guarded situation in the San Francisco game where Travis Kelsey's lined up out wide, and the two receivers are in a kind of a tight alignment inside of him. And so what they do, and this is smart by um, by the 49ers, is they match Kelsey with their number one corner, which is what Terry would get. So then all of a sudden they motion Travis Kelsey to the inside of that bunch. So it's Travis Kelsey, receiver, receiver, to the right side of the formation. And because you don't want your number one corner fitting inside, he's not used to that. The nickel now says, I have him in man-to-man coverage. So now the third guy, the inside guy, who's your nickel, your worst coverage player, now is in man-to-man on Travis Kelsey, just from a motion, right? So then they're able to run a pick play. Travis Kelsey's going to be wide open to the flat. They made them switch coverage responsibilities. He's open to the flat. It's like a 40-yard gain. That's a simple thing, right? That's an easy thing. Just mess with their rules, make them misalign, change the coverage responsibilities. Excellent. Another thing they do is they get the four by one quite a bit. So they have four receivers to the left. So they motion to a trips look like you're talking about to the left. They have the running back offset to the left. So that's technically a four by one. The San Francisco 49ers in cover three, they that middle linebacker has to push to the four-man side, right? So the slant to the backside is wide open because they have no hook player. The hook player is the safety now rotating from the top. And Andy Reid, when you watch him, does an absolutely fantastic job of putting these people in binds based on coverage rules. Like Travis Kelsey catches this little five-yard sit probably four times a game. So they line up in a four-by-one. They put um, Tyreek Hill in the outside or, or whoever it is. Tyreek Hill, their fast receiver, right outside of him. They know that the backside will has to push to Travis Kelsey all the way across the formation. So Travis Kelsey just runs up, sits down. The mic has to bypass him because he's got to undercut anything Tyreek Hill's doing. And there's a huge throwing window for the best receiving tight end in the NFL. And that is just taking formational, your your ability to cultivate a formation and putting them in a bind defensively. So I think that that, that, that shows up every single play. You know what I mean? In addition to some other really cool stuff that they do, which we can talk about in a minute. But right. in terms of your point about formations, like it's all over the tape. 
Right. Okay. So then we got the alignment usage and motion usage bullets here mm -hmm. uh, from, again, this former front office guy you worked with, Reed. Uh, within those previously mentioned formations, utilizing alignments in another way to further require coverages to communicate in order to recalibrate. Bunches, stacks, and condensed looks force the defense to adjust to the offense in a variety of ways. They can provide receivers with advantageous leverage, free releases into the pattern, and provide coverage indicators based on the alignment and technique of the defenders that allow the offense the ability to get the right, get to the right play or get to the, the ball to the right player. And like we talk about stuff with a young quarterback, that's really important. Like how much information can you give the quarterback before the snap? And so, you know, these little things of, you know, hey, we see this guy traveling with the motion or, you know, obviously the, the famous example with the enemy now is in the Super Bowl. They saw on tape that uh, not, they could get not only information in terms of, hey, they're going to travel and then do the rock and roll coverage where they, uh, you know, the receiver comes across corner, follows halfway, then actually winds up to go back and play safety. And the backside safety is going to come down and pick him up to make sure that 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 he's not out leveraged on a jet sweep. Well, if we get halfway across and stop, that corner's already like, I got to get back to safety, go back the other way. And now now there's wide open space. And, you know, they scored two touchdowns in the Super Bowl on that. And that's something that Biennemi saw on tape. So it's not just getting leverages and getting matchups, but it's like, can you use what the defense is going to do against them based off the motion, based off the confusion that it can cause? Uh, and, you know, some of that is obviously alignment-based. Then on the motion, just to wrap this up real quick, it says within those formations and alignments, the use of pre-snap motion is the final cog that forces defenders to communicate even further to properly recalibrate the coverage to match the final formation. Motion allows an offense to start off in one look, then snap the ball on another while the coverage works to adjust. You can motion into those previously discussed formations and alignments so that the coverage has to be totally on the same page to defend it, by having automatic mechanisms built in or by communicating right before the snap. Both make their job much more difficult. Motioning to change the formation strength, get to stack bunch looks, create free releases, give your receivers advantageous leverage off the line, or to get a coverage indicator are all ways in which the offense simultaneously makes their jobs easier and the defense's job harder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there was a, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but there was a play where they ran like a jet sweep to the right, you know? And the safety, because you're changing strength, you're changing passing strength. So he's like in the middle of a check, you know what I mean? And they hand the ball off to the to the to the, to the jet guy. So because he's like probably three steps late to the run to fitting the run, the linebacker. So basically, like what they did is they run like this kind of jet sweep, which everybody runs. So the tight end releases for number one. There is the no, excuse me. The receiver blocks number one. The tight end releases for number two, and then the offensive lineman who's kind of uncovered releases for the safety. And so the fourth player in that is the safety, this guy who's making the check, he has to make the tackle and he doesn't make the tackle and they run for a touchdown because of kind of this motion post snap shift. And again, I think this also speaks to something that I'd like to talk about is that Andy Reed and this offense, they ran the same formation. They ran the same run two plays before. And they said, Hey, look, they're not, they're having a slow time with the check. There's three over four guys on the backside. If we hand this ball off, they're going to be short. And they did it again two plays later. And they even ran a different coverage, San Francisco, but the result was the same. So I think that's really cool when coordinators kind of say, this is what their response is to this play. Let's give them this counter off of it that they can't cover because of how they're playing this first look. So 
I think that there's a ton of stuff that they do really well. I mean, it's it's all high level. Like, it's the best offense in football damn near for the last couple of years. Andy Reid, Mahomes, offensive line, skill position players, everything is very, very dynamic there. Just about whether I, – I, I think that that, philo- that philosophical element is so valuable here because it does, like you're saying, create easier throws, easier looks, easier opportunities for the quarterback. Now, at some point, you just got to get back there and play football, which you see Patrick Mahomes do, like I said, five to ten times a game. Right, but that that'll be really interesting too because I think the offense is still better, right? It's still better with without that elevation. But that's what makes that takes them from like a top twenty offense, top fifteen offense to a top five offense is Patrick Mahomes' his ability to kind of do that special stuff because it extends drives, it finds big plays, it elevates the whole group. So I think that's an important thing to acknowledge here as well. Yeah, and then the question is like, can Howell and anybody else on that offense handle? the verbiage that goes with all of that, you know, yeah. calling, calling motions and shifts and all this kinds of stuff is harder than like, all right, double, right. You know, yeah. 19 Wanda. Well, and it, it's hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody to, to, to know because it does change your rules. Like let's say we're running, just as a basic example, we're in a two by two, right. And the adjuster to the left is running, running to the right. So as he runs to the right, now we're in a three-by-one passing set, right? So as he's coming, I need to know it's the tight end who's the innermost guy that my route is changing as he's coming to the side, right? He might be running a flat, as and I had the flat usually, right? Because essentially we're getting to like a bunch or a three-by-one. So everybody's kind of going to be on their P's and Q's and understand how these variations affect the outcome. I think that's something that is um, that's very important too. It's, it's There is an intellectual load, but that's the thing about the enemy that I've got a lot of respect for is it seems like when you watch the film, he's very detailed about this stuff and he, you know, say what you want about how he talks to players, you know, LaShawn McCoy has been saying all sorts of crazy stuff about him, but he is going to hold you to a very high standard. He's going to make it very, very clear as to what his expectation is and what he wants on a specific play. Yeah. uh, And I want to get to that as kind of the final, final piece here. Um, But I, I do think that it's worth pointing out that, the offense knows that's coming. Like you can say like, oh, my route would be this in two by two and we start there and we motion. But like, you know, the motion's coming. Yeah. So it's like, you know, by the time the ball is snapped, I'm running the three by one version of this. It's and you true. know that because you got told to play in the huddle. The defense has to make that adjustment and they might they might be all over the concept in their head and be like, oh, based off situation, they like to run this thing. And all right, they're in two by two, tight end's going to be here. I'm all over this route. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh God, he's running not where I thought, oh, there was a motion guy. Like they have to do all that thinking in real time without the heads up that the offense has. And that's why that stuff, and and I really loved that line. uh, And the thing I just read of like, the offense can use Mm. formations, alignments, motions to make their jobs easier while making the defense's job harder. And the enemy is so good at that, obviously with uh, in that Andy Reid system. But he is someone who has been in that system for a long time. And he's talked about in interviews before. I read a really great profile by Dan Pompey in The Athletic. That was from 2020, but read it over the weekend. Um, And he talked about, or Biennemi talked about how if he becomes a head coach one day, like he has things that he thinks about offense and, and, you know, has concepts and has philosophies that he wants to implement. But he's learned so much. And obviously his offense would look very similar because it's worked and and he's had the great fortune of working for Andy Reid. So it's taking these things that he knows and, and then obviously teaching and implementing them 
to the players, and that gets to that final piece. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The reason I have faith in this, the reason I'm so positive on this, potentially unreasonably positive on this, is because... I think this is a great landing spot for Eric Bieniemy's personality. Because who the hell on this offense is going to step to him and be like, oh, no, I know better. Like, don't talk to me like that. Yeah. Like, are, are, is there a general human respect and professionalism that, that should be happening that perhaps Bieniemy has, has pushed at times with certain players in his career that haven't responded well to that? Yes. But... It's not like, you know, LaShawn McCoy, who was very accomplished and at the end of his career, by the time he got to Kansas City and then was getting barked at and he didn't like it. And he's like, I'm LaShawn McCoy. Like, what are you talking to me like that before? There's nobody on this team like that. Who Terry McLaurin is the most established guy. One, Terry wants to be coached hard. And two, he's still young and hasn't really accomplished anything. He's never, uh, he's played in one playoff game in his career. The enemy's a two-time Super, Super Bowl champion coming in and I think when you have that status the ability to push people you're like okay well this guy knows how to win I better do what he says and I'm gonna I'm gonna get on board with this and I think that and obviously working with Reed these last five years and and seeing how Andy handles players I think has probably made Bianami a better coach and I think this is a really great landing spot for him to be able to push and teach and and achieve that high level of detail that actually makes the offense work with you know all of the the X's and O's stuff that we talked about for the last thirty five minutes. 
No, I think so. And I think, I mean, I do think there are people on the roster that you potentially got to be concerned about it. And it's the older guys, it's the Lenos, it's the Norwells. And I know everyone says, oh, they're not good players. So get them out of there. But as no, we just Norwell talked about, going to be here, but yeah, but sure. I, as we just talked about those guys, like they, you, we, they're rebuilding an offensive line, right. And he's going to be a piece of that. So, you know, if he creates some friction with Leno, then Leno's got a good voice on the team. Like those are the, that is where it becomes slightly problematic, I think, is with the older guys on the team that have been around some different staffs and seeing how people communicate. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I do think on the whole, this is going to be a thing that's um, that's very advantageous for this group. And I think, um, like you said, like there's not a lot of people here who've won a lot of games, even on the coaching staff, right? So getting someone in here who's going to kind of put your foot, put his foot on your throat and say, this is how we're doing it in a way is good, right? It's, you know, like I look at like Bill Callahan's a good example of this, right? So Bill Callahan is notorious for being exceptionally hard on the offensive line. And what he does is he gets them out there 20 minutes early. He keeps them 20 minutes late. They do very, very hard special strength exercises. And he talks meanly to guys and he's kind of gruff and rough around the edges, but he does a good job of developing a galvanized group that are galvanized in hatred against him. And I think he does it on purpose and he's very, very detailed and he makes, he cultivates iron out of those groups. And so what I envision for this offense is something quite similar, right? Is a guy who's going to get you out early, keep you late, be very, very taxing. And so for a young group, a young offense, that's what you want. At some point it's going to need to transition out. Probably, you know what I mean? You need to transition to, you know, the next phase of coordinator, the next phase of coach that's gotten you out of this developmental phase. But right now, I think this group needs somebody like this who's going to be very detailed, very absolute in their perspective, and very, very demanding, especially given, like you said, like the best player on this team has been in the league for like five years, you know, like they need someone to push and push hard and galvanize this group and turn them into iron. And I think you can do that. And I think if anybody's capable of doing it, He's capable of doing it. Um, and it's just about kind of managing some of those flame, those fires that'll pop up because inevitably there will be some. Yeah, but I also think that's where leadership comes in. And I think they have the right kind of leaders here. Um, and by the way, I think the quarterback is the right kind of guy too, frankly. Like, I don't know if Sam Howell can play, but everything I've heard about his demeanor and like his work ethic, I think mm. he's going to be a really good fit with Eric Bieniemy. You know, Bianami's talked about how Patrick Mahomes is a first in, last out kind of guy. Um, I think we've seen uh, through like NFL films and stuff, uh, the the kind of leader that he is, super intense, um, very demanding, very high caliber, like can have fun and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he's a guy that is dedicated to the work. Guy like Travis Kelsey, dedicated to the work. You know, as much fun as Kelsey is, like that dude's a fiery competitor. And so, yeah, Shady McCoy, whose competitiveness and dedication was questioned far before he got to Kansas City, yeah, he didn't get along with, with Eric Bieniemy. And also, as Andy Reid uh, said in an interview when asked about Shady's comments, uh, he didn't talk about Shady directly, but he was like, you know, so we've had a couple guys that have come in at the end of their careers and weren't quite as good as they used to be, and uh, they didn't really like being told that. Mm. And so, you know, yeah, Bieniemy probably told... LaShawn McCoy, like, you can't do the stuff you used to. You're not there. And maybe that was him trying to positively coach him and be like, you can't do that anymore. Here's how to be effective. And Shady just heard, you're old and you suck now. And so he hates Eric Bieniemy. Like, I'm not really putting a lot of stock into what Shady McCoy says. 
I think that for a guy like Terry, who's got the respect of everyone else on that offense, and is a guy that wants to be pushed and wants to be great and is not really going to you know fight back in a fiery way against a coach who pushes him. Uh, and like, look, he played for you know, he and Curtis played for Urban Meyer, who is he cross lines um, in terms of the way he coached guys. Um, so I'm not saying EB is going to be a walk in the park, but like they're used to being coached really, really hard mm-hmm. um, in that Ohio State program. And so I think the leadership group, McLaren for sure. I think Hal is a, the right kind of guy on that. And then you have a bunch of young guys who they don't really have a ton of power. I think it's the right group as well. I mean, Robinson obviously is going to take on a bigger role this year. Guy comes from the Alabama tree. So definitely used to being coached hard. Um, I think it could be really fun. And, you know, a guy, even even within practice, like the barking that's going to happen between John Allen and Eric Bieniemy, like that's probably going to be fun. Like it's going to be a competitive environment. And it's on Rivera to ultimately kind of manage everything. And I think Ron is good at that. I think that's one of his strengths is kind of the having the feel and the pulse of the team as a whole. So I think in that way, it's also a good mix of personalities. You need some pushers on your staff. You need some good cops, if you will, on your staff. And we'll see how they fill out the rest of this offensive staff and who's there to, to be able to smooth things over if, if needed. But I really do like the fit and like I'm just more positive on this than almost anything else that's happened for this team in the last three years if I'm being honest about it and I think you should be I think you should be very positive but again like being positive is also Uh, being realistic I I think that's what I'm trying to kind of temper here is like I think that this is a this is this is excellent this is the best case scenario You, you mentioned um you know Roman Greg Roman and him being an addition here I think like Greg Roman, Roman would have been like a solid double, you know, like you would have gotten on base. Everyone would have been really happy. The offense would have been fine, but I think this has the potential to be a home run. Now, like there are some limiting factors here. We've talked about those at nauseum, um, but I, I, this is an exciting thing. I'm not trying to say, don't be excited. I'm saying everybody who's listening to this, be realistic about this. Yeah. And understand the excitement should cap it. Like, Hey, they, if everything goes right, they're a top 10 offense, not they're going to be the best offense in the league. And also that's if everything goes right, realistically, yeah. they're probably going to be better than they have been. And that's barely. That's top important. Half. And that's important. Yeah. It's important that they're better. And I think I agree. I think they will be better. And I think, yeah, perfect scenario. Like they're the top 10 offense, but I think you're looking in that probably 18 to 13, 14, 12 range you know like it's a good range everyone's going to be excited about that team here will be excited that's better than they've been in a while like you pointed out but i i think it's important that and that'll be good right and there's a there's a world where it doesn't the offense takes a win to install they're dealing with a young quarterback there's all these things the offensive line doesn't come together the way you hope all these factors that are i don't say stacked against but they they make it challenging they make it challenging to execute a good offense and i've said this before i'll say it again kyle shanahan sean mcveigh those guys said it takes a true three years to get your offense fully installed. And what that means is like getting everyone to know the absolute details, understanding the personnel completely. Now, is the offense going to be good year one? Probably. But in terms of getting it to where it needs to be, it's three years. And I think that that's another thing is the time constraint here. So am I super excited EB's here? Absolutely. Do I think he's going to do a great job? Absolutely. Do I think he's going to elevate this group? Absolutely. But I think there's some other things that just make this a tough job. And that's why, you know, there were, I don't think there was a lot of interviews with like outside of the enemy, like top flight candidates, quite frankly, because it's a tough position to be in. Yeah. I, but I, I think for EB, 
Of course, he wants to be successful as long as he's here. I think his ultimate personal definition yes. of success is, is making this yep. a, a top 15 offense this coming year, getting a head coaching mm. job. And whether that's here or somewhere else, uh, as new ownership takes over, and he doesn't really care as much about the three-year long-term. I like, and obviously totally his next his next stop, he will care about that because he's going to be head coach. And right. like, you know, so it's just, but, it's but just a different thing. I think that point you bring up, that that is his ultimate goal. I think the more I think about it, the more it's like that has to be his goal, is that he's taking this to get out of Andy Reid, get out of Patrick Mahomes, get out of Kansas City, and he is expecting, I would imagine, the ball this year and then be gone next year or you know yeah. be gone to greener pastures quite frankly yeah and, and that's the thing is like i think he to go back to my first kind of thing i said is he needed a place that was challenging enough that it was undeniable when he gets results but he also needed a place that he thinks he can get results and i think the fact that he took this job look the assistant head coach thing is also it, it's not like it's icing on the cake, but it's not nothing. Yeah. Um, mainly that he's going to get a bigger check because of that. So they're gonna they're gonna pay him more than he was getting in Kansas City. Uh, one because he's a play caller. Two because he's assistant head coach. But I also think that Rivera will like people are asking me what that means. To my best guess, it probably means that he is going to be pulled into some of the head coach only type of stuff, where like Ron has a time management meeting, you know, or or. Ron has whatever personnel meeting and where normally it would be just him. He's going to pull EB into that stuff and be like, Hey, this is what it looks like. One, I want your input because you're my assistant head coach. And two, I'm kind of letting you shadow me so that you're ready for this job in a way that he wasn't getting in Kansas city. Um, because that wasn't part of his job and what part of what his responsibilities. And so he is being prepared to be a head coach here in a way that he wasn't. And I think that was probably part of the conversation where Ron is looking at him, you know, I don't know whether he looked at Sean McDermott this way inherently or McDermott was so undeniably good that he gets the job in Buffalo. But like Ron has had coaches come off of his staff and get other elevated jobs before, um, including the most successful one being McDermott. And I think the is coming in with that mindset and somewhat of an agreement between Ron, probably some level Andy, um, who is very close with Ron and Ron's mentor and Eric to say like, look, we all agree this is the plan, right? We all agree this guy should be a head coach. We all agree that this is part of the process. And we all agree that he can't stay with in Kansas City because the NFL has clearly said that's not good enough. So let's send you to, to Ron. You have a chance to be really good there because of the skill position receivers. And you're going to have a chance to build something. You're going to have heavy input on the offensive line and, and all these things that we've been talking about that are that are currently incomplete about this roster and then if you're good you'll be prepared and you can go spread your wings and i think that is part of the deal everybody knows it and the best case scenario is that happens that we're having another conversation a year from now about the new offensive coordinator because eric Bieniemy just got named the head coach of whoever um i also think you know there's a chance that he's named the head coach here depending on what new ownership thinks of rivera and how things go this year um, that's a different conversation, but I do think that Bianami is hoping that a year from now, whatever other problems that we're talking about are not his problem anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's, I agree. I don't have anything to really add to that, quite frankly. Anything else uh, to add to the podcast in total about him or about anything that could immediately come next? Just that I'm excited and I think there's going to be, it'll be really interesting to see kind of the next 
the next thing for me is the coaches that he hires on the staff mm-hmm. because they're kind of the thing. You know, everyone thinks that, you know, OC is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a huge deal. But like in terms of conveying that message, I think people like undervalue skill position, like uh, the position coaching hires. And so like I would keep an eye on like maybe offensive line, maybe quarterback coach. And those are some big deals. I think, you know, receiver coach potentially, I think that's less important because of the guys that are in the room. But I think, you know, when you look at what they were doing in Kansas city, like it's a very, it's high level stuff and it's a little bit different than what Matt Scow's done here. So that would be someone I'd keep an eye on. And then the quarterback coach, you want somebody in there that you trust implicitly because that's like an extension of your voice in the room. And EB will probably be around that a lot. But again, those couple hires, I think are going to be really, really telling about, you know, how some of these, transitions will go you know the young quarterback development and the offensive line so definitely and look i think zampezi could be you know if that yeah, i'm not saying he's well, out of it yeah i'm not saying yeah, he's out of it because of the relationship you have with sam and the ability to translate the offense uh, he's a guy that's been in multiple systems um you know obviously keeping an eye on drew terrell is potential to get the passing game coordinator job in arizona yeah. um, after he interviewed for the oc job but like you said um not that not that uh i could go in and coach receivers but you definitely could well, yeah, I mean, you'd feel pretty good about, I mean, because it's a good room. It's a bunch of good pros. Yeah. It's a bunch of guys who are going to handle their business. So, I'd, you know, like if this was some bunch of bunch of slaps, you'd say we got to get somebody really high level in here. But you could probably get somebody, my son could probably go in and coach those guys. Like they'd run the meetings. They'd do all the stuff they need to all do. All right, if, if Owen can do it, then I feel confident. I think I, th- I really feel good about it because I have a lot of faith in that, in that group, in that room, <laughs> you know. So, but uh, yeah, I, again, I'm not saying anybody's out. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes the next couple of days because I do think those are some big dominoes that need to still fall potentially. Definitely. All right. Uh, we will be back, uh, well, tomorrow. Uh, we're going to record on Wednesday. It'll be up on YouTube Thursday morning in your audio feeds uh, with any uh, more stuff. Uh, obviously, Bianami's press conference is on Thursday, so we'll learn more about exactly what the assistant head coach job is and uh, what he thinks. I'm sure he'll be asked about Sam Howell and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's Thursday. We'll have coverage on the radio show. And then next week, um, we have two really cool podcast plans. I'm just going to go ahead and say we're going to do the second yeah. one that we talked about. Uh, <laughs> on Monday, we're going to record with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. So that'll be like your Who's big... Their, he's their lead draft analyst for PFF. He's like, he's awesome. He does a great he's, job. Yeah, I'm very pumped to talk to Mike. Uh, he's also a friend of a friend, which is how we got in touch, which is kind of a fun story. So we'll probably have a little... He's uh, also like a weirdly handsome guy. Have you have you met Mike in person? Uh, no, I've seen him on television though. And, yeah, it's uh, like you're looking, at, you're looking at the second and third most handsome guys on this podcast uh, next <laughs> next Monday right now. Uh, it's up to you, the viewer, uh, what what order uh, that we rank I heard, him. I heard a rumor Mike's that he was first. on the Bachelor. He was on the Bachelor. He was a contestant on the Bachelor. Is that true? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to look that up. We'll have yeah, to look that up. Or ask him about it. If he's like, no, what are you talking about? Then uh, that'll just be awkward. But, you know, we look forward to that on Monday. This is why you stay around to the end of the pod. We get a little loose. Uh, and so that'll be Monday. And then Wednesday uh, slash in Tuesday, Thursday, again, yeah. audio feeds. Uh, we always put it out at first thing in the morning. Um, we're going to do a crossover pod uh, with the Train With The Best podcast, my fitness podcast. My co-host, Chris Gores, is a guy who's done a ton of combine training over the years. Uh, and so uh, we've had Logan on that pod before. Uh, it's Logan's a trainer. Obviously, I'm a trainer. But this time of year, you know, we always hear about 40 times, obviously. But like, what does that actually translate to? What are what are teams looking at with every single drill at the combine and all the stuff that happens behind the scenes? And how do prospects get prepared for that? So we thought that'd be a really kind of cool, unique 
look at the NFL Combine. We'll record that in person in Indianapolis, uh, which will also be very cool, uh, as opposed to Logan and I staring at each other through computer screens uh, mm. with whoever else is on. So uh, be at the Combine next week. Excited for that. Uh, combine preview with, with Renner, the very handsome Mike Renner on Monday. And... Uh, Make sure that you're subscribed for all of that, uh, whether you are watching us on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or again, full circle, a callback, if you will, the very free, very beautiful Odyssey app. Uh, make sure you're subscribed and we will catch you then. All right, that's enough yapping. For Logan, I'm Craig, and we'll see you not too long from now here on, on Take Command.